we're going to uh, begin looking at the seven bowls. If you remember last time, we had the preparation of the seven bowls ready to be poured out, which are going to finish the the judgment. The, 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 obviously, the final bowl taking us through the Battle of Armageddon. So we're going to do <clears throat> the first five bowls tonight we're going to take, take a look at and, uh, and see what the Lord has for us as we open up His Scripture. In Revelation <clears throat> 16, beginning at verse 1, it says, Then I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God, the thumos. So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth, and harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. The second angel poured out his bowl in the sea, and it became like the blood of a corpse, and every living thing that was in the sea died. The third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, Just are you, O Holy One, who is, who was, for you brought these judgments. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, Lord God, the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. Now the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and it was allowed to scorch people with fire. They were scorched by the fierce heat. And they cursed the name of God who had power over these plagues. They did not repent or give him glory. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in anguish and cursed the God of heaven for their pain and sores, and they did not repent of their deeds. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you, Lord, as we look at the, the beginning of the end, really, of the judgment we've been looking at in the book of Revelation. God, I pray that your spirit would guide us in your truth, Lord, for we just want to be able to understand and comprehend that which your word is laying out for us. God, we want <clears throat> to be able to, to receive fully, God, the, the word that you have for us, the, the charge for your church as we look at this judgment God, we pray that you would ignite us, Lord, that you would cause us, Lord, to uh, just burn with the, with the comprehension that you speak to us through your word and say, it's, it's coming. This day of judgment, this time of judgment is coming. And we need to redeem the time for the days are evil. We need to share the gospel, to sound the trumpet to blow the warning. God, we pray that you would uh, just move in this place tonight. Guide us and lead us, Lord, as we look to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, oftentimes when we come to the Word of God, we come studying the Bible, a lot of times folks <clears throat> will see two different gods in the Bible. You ever done that? Like if you read the Old Testament, you, you see a God, wrath, judgment, a lot of things going on. You read the New Testament, it seems like God got saved, kinder, gentler, more loving God. No? Nobody sees that? And what we have to remember when we come to the Word is that God is all of that. That the attributes of God are, are love. The Bible is very clear. God is love, but God is, is also wrath and justice and truth. That the, the, the things that we're looking at and the things that we're going to read tonight is the final judgments are poured out and really... You know, so often we look at these final judgments as though they happen over a three and a half year period of time. I tend to think that the bold judgments happen in very rapid succession and much closer to the end. Well, you tell me, how long can you go without water? How about without food? Or without light? So, pretty radical judgments that are falling upon the upon the earth at that time and then we also have to decide as we look at the text is this local or global because most of us will assume it's global when we look at it right but is that accurate does he say it's global does the lord tell us that or or do we make those assumptions and when we come to it we see but what we know for sure the things we absolutely know the the wrath of god is finished in the seventh bowl it's done 
Armageddon's over. Jesus returns, puts his feet on the earth. He will be king and he will rule and reign on the earth. Job said, I know that my Redeemer lives. And he will put his feet on the earth, right? He said, and I will see God, my eyes, not another's. I will see God. So there's a, the scripture teaching of resurrection and this kingdom age and, and the period of time as, as God takes everything that's been wrong and he makes it right. But one of the things we, are, we can be guilty of removing ourselves from is the concept that God will judge sin. That the way we entered into a relationship with God is that Jesus Christ bore that judgment, right? But the scripture is really strict on what it says about continuing in sin. Paul would say, if we have died to sin, what's the next phrase? How can I live in it any longer? How do I die to sin? I die to sin when I have a relationship with Jesus Christ, right? Now, it doesn't mean that my life is easy, that things all got simple, but it does mean I bowed the knee to my Lord and Savior, right? We all understand what that first word means, Lord, King, God makes the calls, not Jackie. So I bow my knee to God and I receive that gift that He has given me. He's Lord. So, so then my life is that of, uh, <clears throat> of, of submission to God. What, what do you have for me, Lord? And, if, and I'm not going to be perfect any more than any of us are, right? But that's my goal. That's substantially different, isn't it, than a person who just says, there's nothing wrong with what I'm doing? And, and why, well, why, 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 why is this the point? Well, because we're seeing the culmination of God's wrath. Poured out. God will judge sin. The, the Bible over and over and over again challenges you and I. It says, examine yourselves, judge yourselves, and you won't be judged. It says, see, Paul says, see that you are in the faith. You ever told your lie, told yourself a lie before? <clears throat> I've done it, you know. I look in the mirror and I go, oh yeah, I'm not that fat. You know, and then later on, you, you're walking by a, a mirror somewhere, you catch your reflection, like, who's that? Oh, that's me? No, no. I'm pretty sure that's not me. We are, as <coughs> human beings, <laughs> really willing to deceive ourselves. And now, deceiving myself on how I look, you know, I don't know, maybe I won't live as long as I could have if I'd have been... Trim and fit, I'm really not willing to pay the piper, so honestly don't care. But when we talk about <laughs> Hallelujah. But when we but when we talk in terms of our salvation, it can't be that way. That's gotta be where we're real. You know what I'm saying? That I really want to come to God. The Bible says that Jesus Christ commands all men everywhere to repent and believe. So those things are are combined, right? Repentance means I'm, I am calling sin, sin, turning away from it, and moving towards Christ. Not, I'm not perfect, but I'm, I'm no longer saying, well, it doesn't matter, I can do what I want. You guys get what I'm saying? Because what we're going to look at tonight is a whole world of people who know exactly what's going on, so much so that they curse God. Right? That's what we're going to read. They curse God. But they won't bow the knee. And ultimately what they're saying is, I won't be ruled by you. And you, you, can, you can engage people like this. You can meet people like this in different uh, times of, of evangelism, uh, out doing street witnessing. You may, you may come against somebody who, or come to, you know, to share the gospel with somebody who is just you know, really that blunt. I don't care. I don't want God. I... You know, their, their hearts sealed and, and finished and done. But I always remind myself of what we've been reading through the book of Revelation because Jesus don't ever give up. He sends angels around the world, 144,000, 12,000, each of the 12 tribes of, of Israel going around with what? The eternal, everlasting gospel. Because he's giving that opportunity. As far as I'm concerned, 
the, the seed of faith is wrapped up in the gospel. What is it that, that, that Romans chapter 1 says? The gospel is what? The power of God unto salvation. So when we share the gospel, we are, we are providing an opportunity for there to be a response. Yeah? Now the response can be, slam a door and I don't care. But, and I'm not, that part I'm not responsible for. What's my part? I gotta tell. And I, I, I've gotta, I gotta care enough about a person. I've gotta care enough to confront them. Boy, that's uncomfortable. No? Have you guys ever been told, why are you judging me? What are you judging me for? You know, I find it's really easy, a really simple way to, to move through that because I just let the Word do it. That's not me. Those are God's words. I'm just caring enough about you to share them with you. This is what God says. This is what God's Word lays out for us. And so, there's this burden, and hopefully that burden continues to get greater. For Even when Paul <coughs> was writing... He was filled with this burden that the days are evil and we got to redeem the time and we got to share. We got to talk to people. We can't let people continue in error and say, well, I don't want to offend them and not share. Because the Bible says that's not love. The Bible calls that hate. In the book of Proverbs, it says, if a father loves his child, what does he do? He disciplines him, he corrects him. So the Bible says, love will correct. Love will say, yeah, that's that's wrong thinking. I'm the first one to tell you, is that easy to do? Is it pleasant? Well, how does this chapter sound? Because that's the future for the ones who don't turn to Christ. And to be honest, that sounds substantially more unpleasant than a few moments of, of tension between a couple of people, doesn't it? And, and the, you know, the other part of that, <clears throat> just briefly, is when I am faithful and I share and it goes good, man, the joy after that is so much better than whatever little bit of, of tension there was. You know, it's, it's really indescribable when you, when you really see God move in somebody's heart and life. It's, it's pretty cool. Kathy, Kathy's running around. She's probably outside. I won't say her name too loud. But she was sharing with me a, a story about one of the gals that, at the pastor's wives retreat she just got back from who was a, a Jehovah's Witness. And she, she ran into like the worst witnessing <coughs> Christian guy ever who basically told her, I don't want to waste my time. You don't have to hear nothing I say anyway. This is dumb, stupid. But he said enough. To get a, a rock in her shoe. You know what I mean? Like, oh, what's that? What are you talking about? What would you say? So it's almost like she chases him through the house to get him to tell her the gospel so she can realize something's wrong with what she believes. Now she's a pastor's wife. And, it, and so, you know, it's a, obviously a longer story than that, but you get the idea. When that happens, there's so much more joy in that, isn't there? We never get that if we won't break the uncomfortable silence when you know somebody is saying or doing something that is in opposition to God's Word. If you don't know it's wrong in God's Word, don't say nothing. I'm not telling you to make some kind of snap judgment on your own, but if God's Word says this is sin, you decide. That was the part about becoming a Christian, right? We, we picked sides. I'm standing with the Lord. And here's what God's Word lays out for us. So look at the, look at the future. This is the final plague, okay? We're going to look at five plagues tonight. Plague number one is going to strike at their health. It's going to strike at their health. One of the things that God says is He will shake everything that can be shaken. Those things that we cling to, that we hold to, that, that are like our final place to stand and hold on. Oh, well, at least I have my health. <clears throat> So we have it, it says in, in Revelation 16, 1, I heard a voice from the temple. <clears throat> now, we talked about this before. Whose throne's in the temple? God's throne's in the temple, right? So, so you have the voice of God coming out, loud voice, tells the seven angels, go. 
Pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. Now, there are people who will disagree with me, but I feel like, like I shared, this doesn't happen right at the midway point, that we're looking more towards the end of the last three and a half years, and they're going to come quick. Dump, 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 dump. Just based on the judgments that are there. And certainly, if these are global judgments, man, that's... You're, you're talking some of them will have to be a, a, just a matter of days. It says, then I heard, go pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. So the first angel went, poured out his bowl on the earth, and harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. So the first one, <clears throat> boils. Boils come out wherever they got the mark. So they have the mark on their hand, they have the mark on their forehead, whatever this mark entails, there's going to be a boil, a sore. Now what I want you to recognize as we get to the end of this section, the first five plagues, are their sores gone? No. So once they come, they stay. They don't heal. However long that is, <clears throat> the Bible doesn't tell us, right? It doesn't tell us when that begins, but it's the first one. Now, does this remind you of any other plagues we've ever read about in the Bible? If you remember in Exodus, there was a similar plague, wasn't there? <clears throat> there was a similar plague. In fact, if we look in Exodus chapter 9, we can read about it. <clears throat> Exodus 9, verse 9, it says, And it shall become fine dust all over the land of Egypt, and become boils, breaking out in sores on man and beast throughout all the land of Egypt. So they took soot from the kiln and stood before Pharaoh, and Moses threw it in the air, and it became boils, breaking out in sores on man and beast. And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils, for the boils came upon the magicians and upon all the Egyptians. Just like that plague, there's a distinction in this plague. Now, assuming that there are still believers left on the earth at the time, when we come to this plague... It says it only strikes the ones who have what? Mark of the beast. And keep in mind, the mark of the beast is not some accidental thing. I don't care what book you read. The Bible does not teach the mark of the beast as an accidental deal. The mark of the beast is a requirement of worship. So that means, the mark of the beast means I've come to worship the beast. I have, just like when I began, right, when we talked about Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior, that we're bowing our knee to Him as Lord. It, the same thing in reverse. Instead of bowing your knee to the Lord, you're bowing your knee to the beast. I've had an opportunity this week to, to watch a few YouTube videos on some folks who call themselves Satanists that are in Arizona that um, are marching, at, uh, I don't know if marching is the right term, but come out uh, and in opposition to the Christians who have been going to a Planned Parenthood in, uh, in Arizona. And, uh, and so they're, they're, it's kind of funny because most of them would, would call themselves atheists, but the, their hatred of God is so extreme that they're willing to say, I would rather bow my knee to the devil than to God. That's, that's pretty harsh rebellion, Right? Maybe you've experienced that with your own kids. We talked earlier, right? What did, the, what did the Word say? A father who loves his children does what? Disciplines them promptly, right? Now, I'm not saying he gets out of hand. I'm just saying he disciplines, deals, corrects their, their bad behavior, poor behavior. Well, I think when we, when we look at that, there have been times, especially for me, for my kids, one of the requirements for my kids in their discipline was to assume the position and accept it. Now that could take however long it took. I didn't grab them by the neck, whoop them around, tie them to a post, and beat them. I said, it's up to you. The beatings get longer or shorter depending on how quick it takes you to put your hands on the arm or the couch and assume the position. And then the paddle comes out and the backside gets tanned. And it would be, if it was, if the submission came quick, then that, that was my goal. My goal is, will you submit to the correction? Do you get what I'm saying? And so when they would submit to the correction, one swat, we're done. It's easy peasy. I'm not mad. They're not mad. Everything is, well, they might be mad, but I'm not mad. <laughs> I'm not mad and, and we're all good. 
But sometimes there was substantial arguing that would take place prior to the submission. Um, they have the freedom to argue, but the count number goes up. Because what I'm looking for in the correction is submission. It's important to learn, isn't it? Submission to authority. Because if we, if we can learn submission to authority with our parents, why did God make it so important? Because if we learn submission to our parents, how big of a stretch is it to, for us to learn submission to God? If we don't learn submission to our parents, then aren't we going to struggle with submission to God? Or submission to any authority? And what's our world look like today? Does it look like a lot of people are spending time at home teaching submission to parents? So the result is we, get, we have a pretty serious problem with submitting to authority. And you see that same attitude when you talk about God. God didn't have to... All God has to do to have authority over us is to have made us. Is that true? So if God made us, He's... You're the boss. I didn't make myself. That much I know. So if, if God made us, He can have the authority. Now... He could have made us and never loved us, but that's not true, is it? He made us and loved us. And if He loves us, He loves us enough to correct us. Correct us. To bring that discipline. So, so but we see a distinction. What's the distinction here? The boils came on, on the Egyptians, right? What was the distinction in Revelation? It came upon those who took the mark of the beast. God made a distinction. That's where this first plague, this plague of health, uh, lands. Then we come to the second plague. And the second plague, depending on how you guys look at it, and and uh, I'll just be honest with you, um, it's not cut and dry. So you, you need to spend a little time chewing on it, how you how you view it, and I'll explain why in just a second. In Revelation sixteen three, the second angel poured out his bowl into the sea, and it became like the blood of a corpse and every living thing that was died that was in the sea so you have the death of everything in the sea now my question to you is what sea is john talking about and and if we're going to say he's talking about the atlantic the pacific the arctic the indian if he's talking about all that your the burden of proof is on you The last time we came to this phrase, earlier, remember there was a plague in which a third of the, of the fish died in the sea? And I, and I shared with you then, and I'll share it with you again now, that phrase typically, the sea in the Bible refers to the Mediterranean. In their world, that's the sea. Now, I'm not saying it's not global. I'm just saying, If you're gonna, if we're gonna assume that, there ought to be a reason to assume it. You with me? If it said all the seas, but that definite article, the sea, in English, what does that usually mean? We're talking about something particular, aren't we? So keep in mind, all the judgments that we're looking at here are going to be centered around the the Middle Eastern world, where there's a lot of turmoil still today, isn't there? And it's, and where's the Battle of Armageddon going to take place? Is it in the United States? Where's that at? Oh, it's right there in Israel, right? So this is the geographical area we're looking at. Now, is God powerful enough to pour out a plague and wipe out all living things? It's his world. He does what he wants. Yeah, I'm okay with it. But I'm just telling you strictly from the text. What the text would seem to indicate is they're talking about the Mediterranean. Every fit. Now, how devastating is that going to be to that part of the world? It would be devastating to the whole world, obviously, if every fish died. But keep in mind, majority of the food eaten in the Middle East is fish. You, have you been there recently? It's sand. You, you got fish or scorpions? Which one you want? Oh, it's, there's not an uh, not an abundance of other choices. Everything dies. Now suddenly there's going to be a a problem with food. Certainly, if it's the whole world, then my next question would be, how long can you go without food? If it's the whole world, and, and we have a... That's going to be pretty devastating. Every living thing in the sea? 
I mean, that's not just going to affect the ability for man to eat from the sea, but then what's that turning the sea into? How, how much disease? How much pestilence? How much, you know, what, what's, that, what's that going to mean? And the next one's worse, if it's possible, because the next one's going to be fresh water. So then you have to ask yourself, how long you go without water? So we're definitely talking about plagues that would limit the length of time enable for someone to still be alive, right? Certainly not something that can go on for years and years and years. But again, we, but if it's, if it's local, maybe that's a little different. Maybe if it's a Mediterranean ocean, then there's other places that they can get food from, makes life a little more difficult. Maybe that's what causes other people to want to rise up against the Antichrist. I don't know. But from what the text says, the, the second plague kills all the fish in the sea. All the fish in the sea. I think that's the Mediterranean, and I think they're all going to be wiped out. Every living thing. If you remember the trumpet, it was the second trumpet. It, he blew his trumpet, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood, a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. And I, I made the same statement there. What sea does John have in mind when he talks about the sea? And to me, it makes sense that he's talking about the Mediterranean. He's in uh, uh, the, the, the Isle of Patmos, right? <laughs> he's familiar with, uh, with the area. He's familiar with, with what's going on there. And so I, I would think that that's what he's looking at. Now, this is also similar to a plague from Exodus, no? What plague? Yep, he turned the water into blood, right? You remember? Turn the water into Nile to blood. Lord said to Moses in Exodus 9, Take your staff, stretch it over the, uh, stretch out your hand over the water of Egypt, over the rivers or canals or ponds, all the pools of water, so that they become blood, and there shall be blood throughout the land of Egypt, even in their pots, even in their vessels, even in their, their stuff in their house. All the water is going to be turned to blood. Now, it's interesting because it's, certainly it is possible that we're talking about blood, but maybe in, in Revelation it says it becomes like the blood of a dead man. Now what's significant about the blood of a dead man? There's nothing living in it, right? Everything's dead, just pooled up. So could it be red tide? Could it be, sure, sure, sure. Could it be blood? Yeah, for sure. Uh, or it could just be a way of saying everything's dead. Everything's dead in the sea. But this next, this second plague, plague number two, is going to attack, certainly, at least for the Middle East, their food supply. So now you've got everyone has boils, who took the mark of the beast. Everyone has sores. And everyone <clears throat> uh, is, can't get fish anymore. So all the fish is gone. There won't be any fish, won't be any food coming from the sea. By the way, for the Middle East, do you want to know how much of their fresh water they get out of the ocean? Because they don't have a lot of fresh water. So Israel, for the most part, all of their fresh drinking water comes out of the sea. And they go through desalinization plants and they utilize that water. Because otherwise, all they have is the Sea of Galilee and the Jordan River. And the Jordan River is a little wider than Deep Creek. It might be like Deep Creek right now. <laughs> Maybe still a little bit wider. <clears throat> and the, the Sea of Galilee, well, I don't know, size-wise, let's call it uh, Salmon Falls Reservoir. That's it for the whole country. So they have a lot of desalinization plants. Everything dies in that. What happens to their water supply? That's cut off. And just in case that wasn't bad enough, you have plague number three, right? 16 verse 4, The third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel in charge of the water say, Just are you, O holy one, who is and who was, for you brought these judgments. For they have shed the blood of the saints and the prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. So the next... Just in case there's some fresh water left, 
all the fresh water is wiped out. That's total. So if it's local, there's no more water in the Middle East, which, by the way, is made up of, of how much desert? How much water do you think they need? There are a lot of people live there, no? If it's global, did that change? If it's global, it didn't change. If it's global, there's still a big problem, right? No water, no fish, and everyone has boils. Everyone has boils. And then the angel of the waters. Now, this is interesting. Just as a side note, it's important that we realize that when God created the angels, the angels are also an innumerable host. And by angel, I mean uh, every divine being. Uh, I don't know that they're all angels. We, we've been introduced to angels, archangels, rulers, principalities, powers. Um, so there, there appears to be several different kinds. At least four living creatures, which the Bible does not call an angel, but that are around the throne all the time. So there are, there are, there are beings that God created for the heavens, just like there are, there are beings that God has created for the earth. <clears throat> and they all have a responsibility if you read throughout the Old Testament, you're going to hear more and more descriptions of geographical areas that angels are responsible for. If you remember reading the book of Daniel, Daniel prays for an answer from God. Gabriel's dispatched from heaven to bring the answer to Daniel, and he runs into who? Prince of Persia. And he ends up in a wrestling match for 21 days. Spiritual battle. And while that wrestling match is going on, Daniel doesn't have an answer to his prayer. He's waiting. He's fasting. For 21 days, the, the Bible tells that the archangel Michael goes and takes over to fight so Gabriel can deliver the message to Daniel. So it gives us just, I'm, not, I'm just trying to say there's, a, there's some insight there, right? That there are angels uh, that have different responsibilities. And one of the things we look at here is you have an angel over what? The waters. An angel over the waters. Like there's an angel that is responsible for taking care of the water. And what's the angel of the water say? The angel of the water says, hey, the, the, uh, um, the, this is just. This is, this is just. And he gives us the reason why. Let's look at it. Here's, here's the exaltation that the angel gives. Just are you, or righteous. He's saying, God, you're right for bringing these judgments. Now, why does he say God's right? Because they killed your prophets, they killed your people, and you have given them blood to drink. So bear in mind, as we've been working our way through, there's a pretty hard line drawn from the world to believers, and the world is wiping out believers as quick as they can. The scripture is clear. If you don't take the mark, what happens? Off with your head, right? So maybe you can hide for a time. Maybe you can barter and, and, and work things out for a while. But the Bible says over and over again, they're going to find you and they're going to kill you. Because faith in Christ at that point will cost you your life. If they, if they have you, it, it's going to, to cost you. But does, does that matter to God? Keep in mind that when we come to faith in Christ, what is the enemy that has been defeated? Death has been defeated. The Bible tells in Romans 5.12 that because of Adam's sin, death passed to all men. And in Christ, death is defeated. There's nothing that separates us now. Well, isn't that what Romans 8 is all about? Nothing separates us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. In faith in Christ, we have that relationship with God. Death, where's your sting? All death becomes, rather than a gateway into some scary place, death becomes a doorway into the presence of God. To blessing. To joy. That's what the Bible teaches. what the Bible declares. So, while they're going out and, and wiping out Christians, though, that matters to God. Remember the cry of the martyrs at the altar? Do you remember? How long, O oh Lord? How long till you're going to avenge us? They've been killing us all day long. 
What does it say in Romans 8? He's made us like lambs for the slaughter. They kill us all day long. What's going on all around the world with persecuted brothers? We live in it. We're spoiled, guys. We're spoiled. Nobody's killing us. Actually, be good for us if that all changes. <laughs> but right now, there's a lot of places around the world where that's not true, right? There are places in this world you can't say, I believe in Jesus. He's my Lord and Savior. If you do, the best thing is they throw you in jail. Worst thing is, or maybe the best, worst thing is they throw you in jail. The best thing is they I'll take off your head and then you're with God. So, but that, that's the way it is and that's what the Bible teaches. That's the attitude of the world toward God. This rebellion toward God. This child who won't submit. This child who won't submit. And, and the ante gets raised. And the discipline gets harsher and harsher and harsher. But what's the response we see from the child? No, no, I hate you, I hate you, I hate you, I hate you. That's not a result of discipline, just so you know. That is a result of rebellion. And rebellion comes out of the heart. The Bible says it's not what goes into a man that defiles a man. What defiles a man? That which comes out of his heart. For the heart is wicked. We either believe that or we don't. Now, I, I don't know your heart, but I know mine. And if your heart's anything like mine, then we're bad people. And we need a Savior. And thank God He saves us completely. No? He doesn't do a, a partial job. He does a complete job. So we want to recognize He is righteous for this judgment because He is God. It says, for why? Why, are they, why is He righteous? The explanation, they have shed the blood of saints and of prophets and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. And then there's another angel from the altar. An angel from the altar says, Yes, Lord God the Almighty. That's a Trinitarian statement. Lord God Pantocrator. Pantocrator is a word for Almighty. True and just are your judgments. What is the declaration? You're right. And one day, we'll see as we get there, the great white throne judgment, all the living and the dead are going to pass before God. And when God passes judgment, every one of them will have submitted to His judgment and will say, you're right. But that's a sad day. That's a sad day because today is the day of salvation. That's the day of judgment. Now is the time when we can make an effectual change. But we can't make an effectual change if we won't share the gospel. If we won't say, that's not right. This is what the Bible says. But Jackie, they say they don't believe the Bible. That's not my problem. I do. My job is to tell. This is what the Bible says. This is what the Bible declares. This is what the Bible lays out for us. We come to the fourth plague. We're going to look at Revelation 16, 8 and 9. Plague number four. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and it was allowed to scorch people with fire. So you, you hear a lot about global warming. It's in the Bible. No? We read earlier in the trumpet judgments that the Lord on one of the trumpet judgments was going to take a third of the heat, a third of the light from the, from the sun. He was, the sun is going to be affected. There's going to be weather pattern changes. Things are going to be different. The Bible talks about it. Unlike most men today, I think what God declares is you're not going to change it. You, you do whatever you want. Stop using hairspray, the whole deal. No more barbecues, whatever the, whatever to get rid of all the cars and we all ride on a little electric buggies or something. Whatever the thing is that you have to do, it won't matter. Because when this bowl gets poured out, the sun that was, was lightened or darkened a third is going to burn men. 
with fire. So God's going to turn up the heat. He says it's going to be allowed to scorch people with fire. And they were scorched by the fierce heat. And they cursed the name of God who had power over these plagues. I've had my children do this. Who are you, Dad? You don't, what right do you have to, to lord it over me? Oh, I made you. I feed you. I care for you. And I'm trying to protect you. And the Bible says that's what love is. Love will correct. Love will correct. So what happens? They curse, they shake their fists at God. Do they know where the things are coming from? Does mankind know what's going on? The Bible says in Romans chapter 1 that all men are without excuse. They know there's a God because God has shown himself to them. That's what the Bible says. So when somebody says, I don't think there is a God, that's not what the Bible says they think. The Bible says they know there's a God and they suppress the truth. What's happening here? Does it sound like they don't know there's a God? No, they're shaking their fist at God, ain't they? The, the sun's burning me. I got boils. I got sores on my body. There's no fish to eat and there's no water. Yeah, things are getting bad. And they still won't submit to God. There was this group of people once in the wilderness with Moses. They were always bickering. You guys probably heard of them before, the children of Israel. And while they were in the wilderness, you know, they're, they're struggling with this whole idea of who's in charge and who should be in charge. And, and the Lord brings correction. He sends fiery serpents. And the fiery serpents bite them. And the poison from the fiery serpents will kill them. And Moses goes to the Lord and says, Lord, Lord, you know, he pleads for him. And he asks, Lord, you know, can they be saved? And God says, yes. Make a symbol of the snake and, and affix it. Make a brass serpent and affix it to a pole. And stand it up before the people. And everyone who will look at that will be saved. Do you know Jesus makes the correlation that he's the brass pole? He says, if the Son of Man is lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. That if we'll look to him, what happens? We'll be saved. You don't, there doesn't have to be the fear of death. There doesn't have to be the fear of judgment. There has, doesn't have to be all this anger. What there has to be is the end of the rebellious heart in man that wants to fight against the God man knows exists. Man needs to bow the knee. And the beautiful thing is, if you bow the knee before God, you realize He won't turn you away. You realize He won't say, yeah, you know what? I'm tired of asking you. Scripture says all day long He reaches out His hands to a disobedient and a contrary people. Meaning, God's, it's there, Right? It's there. What tool does God use to do this today? You and I. And how does He use us? When we share the gospel. When we're willing to say, that's not right. And it's okay, you're going to hear the words, what right do you have to judge me? I'm not judging, I'm just telling you what the Bible says. Because God told Ezekiel, I'm going to give you a word to tell the people. And I want you to tell them, Ezekiel. And if you don't tell them, if you won't tell them, Ezekiel, their blood's on your hands. If you tell them and they won't listen, the blood's on their hands. But Ezekiel, I want you to tell them. I want you to tell them they're wrong. You, you think we got it rough. Ezekiel, I want you to go tell them they're going to die. And don't sugarcoat it. Go sound the trumpet because maybe they'll turn. They'll repent and live. 
That's what God's Word tells us. That's what God's Word is, is instructing. And we see, begin to see the big picture. They, this, is, this is that picture, guys. This is why God calls parents to discipline their kids. This is why, because it teaches us as children to submit to God. To learn to submit to God. How many people out there in the world are arguing, well, what I'm doing is not wrong. It doesn't matter what you think. It matters, what did God say? What did God give us in His Word? What did, what did it say? This is what it says. This is what the Word declares. You're, I'm not better than you. You're not better than me. We're all dirty, filthy, wretched sinners. And we're all saved by the blood of Jesus Christ if I'll bow the knee. If I'll say, yes, Lord, you're right. I submit to you. I believe. What did Romans 10, 9, and 10 say? Confess with your mouth the, what's the word? Lord Jesus. Confess with my mouth, Jesus is Lord. Think about what that means. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, and you will be saved. It's not complicated. <laughs> Rebellious heart don't want to do it, but it's not complicated. It's not complicated. So we have the sun scorching, and yet they won't repent. They won't turn. They won't give him glory. Let's look at the fifth plague, uh, Revelation 16, 10, 11. This is where we'll stop tonight. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast. And the kingdom was plunged in the darkness. The people gnawed their tongues in anguish. Does that sound familiar to anybody? It should. And they cursed the God of heaven over their pain and their sores. And they did not repent of their deeds. Now, was there a darkness plague? Anybody remember a darkness plague? That happened in Egypt too? Crazy how this... You think that's just on accident? I don't think so. I don't think so. So we have a, the darkness plague. Now, what I, what I think is going on, you guys tell me what you think. I think these first five bowls are just a taste of what hell's like. Sores, food, water, scorched by the sun, and then darkness. Now, what does that mean? In our world, I don't know, maybe all the power goes out and they can't turn it back on. I don't know, but there's darkness. It doesn't say they turned on their lights in their houses and, and so they could make false light. No, it just says darkness. And they nod on their tongues. Man, that sounds like a description of hell to me. Where there will be weeping, gnashing of teeth, right? So they're, they're gnawing on their tongues. But, but as they're gnawing on their tongues, do you hear the rebellion? The rebellion of shaking a fist at God. Not, I don't know who God is. I'm shaking my fist at God and I'm saying, no. I won't bow. Now tell me, what does the Bible say in Philippians chapter 2? Who's going to bow? Every knee will bow. If we choose to bow, to me, man, that, that equals salvation. That's receiving that gift that Christ is offering to us if god makes us bow you're still going to bow and then you will say with your lips you're right god and then you go to outer darkness a place that was not created for you this earth was created you know that god created the earth so that mankind would would dominate the earth and he created Angels and heavenly beings to dominate the heavens and that both would exist together and enjoy God forever? That's what he made it for. And that will happen. God won't be frustrated. That, that will occur. The question just simply is, will I be a part of it? Do I want that for which I was created? Or do I want to rebel against it? And if I'm in a place of rebellion, I pray that I have friends who love me enough to tell me. And I'll be mean. Come tell me I'm in rebellion. I'll tell you what a dirty, stinky, 
butthead you are. (laughs) I will have... Isn't that how it usually goes? But I pray somebody loves me enough to say, hey, Jackie, man, come on. That's not the way. I pray they do. Because the reality is that's the only hope I got, is it? Yeah, that somebody loves me enough to tell me. I pray that there are people who care about my kids even more than I do that are willing to tell them. Because the day will come when I won't be there. I pray there are people who love my grandkids enough to tell them. Because there will come a day when I won't be there. And I pray I can be that for somebody else while I am here. That I can in love, not anger, frustration, I can in love tell someone the Bible says. It was a, I I watched a thing, I I just, uh, I've probably watched it three times now. And uh, if you want to know what it is, come ask me, I'll tell you after. But but I watched this guy do this witnessing, 45 minutes. He witnesses to this guy for 45 minutes. And, and, you know, my opinion, now, after watching it three times, I probably would have quit in 10 minutes, like, what a this guy's a jerk, man. Uh, I'm done. I don't want to talk to him no more. Just mean. And, but this, but what comes out to me is the fact that the man who's sharing loved him enough to keep engaging. And I don't know if it put a rock in his shoe or not. But I know the blood's not on that guy's hands because he loved his brother enough. Tell them the truth. We read about these things. That's a bad time. And I don't want anybody I love there. I want the people that I love to have had an opportunity to receive, right? To hear the gospel, the power of God and the salvation. And watch their lives transformed. And be delivered. And be delivered. And it's going to cost me something. Pain. Frustration. People won't like me. I get unfriended. I've been unfriended so many times on on Facebook, I can't even tell you. But I want to be I want to be faithful. I want to be what God's asked me to be, to be a voice lovingly sharing the gospel, but not but not just passing so as I don't want to offend somebody but caring enough about them to actually do what is necessary so that they have an opportunity. Because, guys, that's what love is. Love will come all the way from heaven to earth to die just for the chance. Is that not amazing? And that's the example Christ has given us. Amen? Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray.